0: My name is Natalie Yeadon and I'm the co-owner and managing director with Impetus Digital. For those people who don't know who Impetus Digital is, we um, have built some of the best-in-class asynchronous and synchronous virtual tools in the Impetus Insight platform for life science companies and healthcare companies to be able to do collaboration. We've been around globally for the last 11 years and it's unfortunate that it's been COVID-19 that has kind of forced people to do a lot of virtualization of their meetings. Um, We've been helping people with virtual advisory boards, investigator meetings, co-author working groups, and really quite frankly recently brand plannings and uh, all sorts of internal meetings as well. So uh, that's actually what we do. But at Impetus, we really believe that everything starts with a conversation. We believe at Impetus, we're sort of the bridge for those courageous, big, hairy, audacious conversations that are going to take some of the opportunity to bring some of these big ideas, these provocative thoughts um, and opportunities into the rest of healthcare. So everything starts with a thought. And that's actually the reason why we started this fireside chat, is that we wanted to have some of these provocative discussions and to be the bridge for these for, um, you know, people like, you know, these people that we're seeing right now that are ahead of the curve with mindset and other things that they're doing in their organization, um, and sort of sprinkle some of these ideas, not only into Canada, but also as we share this with our global colleagues. So with all of that said, um, I'm very pleased and honored that we have uh, three very, very successful and innovative and very entrepreneurial physicians around the virtual table today, and I'm just gonna introduce them. Uh, First of all, we have Dr. Ryan Zakarnaski, who is actually a hematologist uh, with, and he's a critical care physician and a clinician scientist at the University of Manitoba. Now he's just given us a wonderful fireside chat background, so love it. And he has um, advanced training in epidemiology and the design and conduct of multi-center randomized trials and observational studies. He is the overall project lead for the Mindset Data Integration Project, and we're going to talk a lot more about that today because it's a very exciting area, and the principal investigator for the TRACTION trial. So this is actually a registry-based RCT that's evaluating transemic acid in major non-cardiac surgery. But he's also doing a study in COVID-19, and we're going to want to talk about that. Next, we actually have Dr. Paul Kamenda. He is a nephrologist with training and expertise in health administration and economics. So he's a research director of the Chronic Disease Innovation Center in Winnipeg. And he also has considerable experience designing and leading large observational studies using administrative data. So we're gonna really wanna delve into that because that is also very intriguing for all of us listening. And he is the principal investigator for the HOME First Assisted Home Dialysis Demonstration Trial. He might be doing some other things that we're gonna to wanna to delve into. And finally, we have Dr. Marshall Peets, He's actually the medical oncologist and the clinical scientific director of the Research Institute of Oncology and Hematology at Cancer Care Manitoba. He's the chief medical information officer at Cancer Care Manitoba and is the lead, is a data lead for their project mindset. And he's worked with data experts to lead the development of the integrated data platform as well as being the principal investigator for the captain Cancer Patient Navigation Demonstration Trial. So all of these folks around the table work with the, um, the Center for Health Innovation. And this is actually a partnership that's between the University of Manitoba and the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority. And they, it's a center that houses seven unique platforms. Each of these are staffed with experts and leaders from disciplines and academia and a variety of different practices. So welcome to all of you. Thank you for coming to the Fireside Chat. So thank you so much. So let's actually get started. I would love if the three of you could get started a little bit about telling me about some of the latest trials that you're working with. Maybe, Ryan, we can start with you. I know that we mentioned the TRACTION trial, but um, is there any other trials that you're currently working on right now? Um, We'd love to actually hear what some of that is that you're, you're doing. Yeah,
1: for sure. I I think there's a great background you gave um, and really kind introductions. Uh, The three of us work as a team. We started this together and we have different expertise that are completely complementary and I think we like each other also and and it it makes for a a great, uh, it's been a great experience and the truth is we probably learned a lot from each other and then we feed it back into the mindset machine that we hope will improve the way we deliver our healthcare system, monitor our, our, our health environment and complete clinical trials within Manitoba. Um, I, we could tell you what we're up to with regard to individual trials. Would it be helpful at all to take one step back? Uh, it's up to you as well. And just to describe the mindset platform and why we, why we uh, decided to journey down this road together to create it.
0: I think that that would be brilliant. And first of all, I'd also like to find out why did you call it mindset? And really, you know, I, I thought I would delve into it through the trials, but maybe more holistically, what is mindset?
1: Sure, guys. Do you want to take the? Do you want me to take it? I mean, I don't want to.
2: It's go ahead.
1: Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, um, we really do function well as a team together, and so it's just. Uh, it's just we just uh,
2: say yes to Ryan. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, I wish that was true. <laughs> <laughs> and so you know, Manitoba uh, is a relatively small province in the middle of Canada um, that um, that has a really rich, connected. Series of administrative data. In fact, I think we could say that we led the world in connecting administrative data with the fidelity that we did. Um, I mean, we could follow someone from their birth to their death using administrative data, which is different than clinical data that's generated on a on a very um, different scale that has in, that is unique and individual to a patient. Where administrative data could be about at a population level, where did you one goes to school? You know, did, did they? Did they utilize the healthcare system in a certain way? Uh, were populations or groups of people diagnosed with a certain condition, and how were their outcomes? And that is really effective for a, a, for monitoring a population, for making disease associations. Um, and uh, but but where it falls down is that, uh, and not it not doesn't fall down, but where the where a, a clear need in the gap is in. Um, connecting our rich clinical data sets. So we, when you go to the hospital or doctor's office, you know, they'll take lab work and you'll have lab data generated. They might take an x-ray or a CT scan and you'll have diagnostic imaging uh, data generated. You might get admitted to the hospital of which there'll be a whole bunch of clinical databases um, that will collect information about you, not collecting information, big brother, but that are used to run the healthcare system. What drugs did you get? Did you get transfused blood or not? Did you go for surgery and what surgery did you have? And that's generated very quickly. And that did, did that. those data sets are very disconnected. They're extremely high fidelity and rich, and they're really not leveraged in a cohesive coherent way that allows us to evaluate return on investment in our healthcare system. Um, if we want to figure out who's in the emergency room today, we link a bunch of databases to find out. Well, who's there and where did they go and how do they do? You know, if if someone uh, hit by a bus and we wanted to know how they did, that one person, we could link a whole bunch of databases that way if we wanted to find out groups of people with a condition. Um, but it's but it's an ad hoc basis and it's really a, not a very efficient process. And so so we could so we could create a provincial data record that help, to help us look after people so that we can monitor the functioning of our healthcare system, so that we can understand return on investment in our healthcare system, and so we can complete clinical trials. That's another one of my passions, completing clinical trials at a fraction of the cost by linking the clinical data sets we have so we don't have to generate the data, again, just for research purposes. We created a real-time integrated clinical data platform that we call Mindset. It's the Manitoba integrated data set. That's where the name came from. And it's not just a bunch of collection of data is what, how we describe it. It's really changing the way it's changing our mindset about how we how we use data in our province to leverage every aspect we can of the healthcare system so that it's sustainable. So it's there for us when we need it. And so that we're getting the most out of the money we put into
0: it now. Yeah, lovely. I love the description. Thank you so much for that, Ryan. I'm going to actually open this up. Sorry, Paul, did you, were you going to actually say I something? I just wanted to
3: kind of uh, com- compliment a little bit what Ryan was saying. Was a, 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 thanks for the great introduction uh, as well. But I think um, I think beyond sort of the mindset data architecture we're setting up, or it's kind of like building building a new building with a bunch of different pieces that, that already exist, um, it's, it's not just enough to link data sets together um, because there, there's, there's a lot of expertise that goes into interpreting data sets, asking the right questions of the data, extracting the right data elements, interpreting what data elements mean, um, and then applying that to solve healthcare problems, both on a, on a sort of health, traditional health outcomes perspective, like, a, like you know, how does, does this something make us live longer, or improve blood pressure, or improve cancer outcomes, um, but also very importantly in emerging patient-oriented outcomes. So what you know what's important to specifically to patients? because it's not always living longer. Um, and it's not always necessarily the same thing clinicians care about. So we've really incorporated patients as part of our team, which is sort of threads through all the research we do now, which is the, kind of the contemporary way that we should have been doing research all the time, but we do now. Um, uh, in, in addition to having people with expertise in other areas like, Programming, contemporary statistical uh, analyses, designing of clinical trials in a methodologically sound way—you uh, know, being able to incorporate health economics or looking at value for spend in healthcare dollars. So all of these things aren't just a few analysts sitting in a room together, you know, putting, t- uh, you know, writing code and extracting data sets. There's a lot of nuances. I-, I I would suggest the best research questions come from individuals that take care of patients. Uh, as well as patients who are taken care of, and then how we you know, design the relevant analysis around these things. Um, you need people who are trained in methodology at academic centers, uh, and you need people who actually make decisions about our healthcare system. So you need people from, in our case, government or payers. Um, The other element i want to really stress is that we don't want to be at all considered ivory tower academics or a bunch of people who just are researchers and we come up with research questions and it's not really linkable back to frontline clinical care and again Marshall and Ryan and I and others involved are physicians. We spend our, all our time in, in various disciplines looking after patients. Uh, we very much listen to our patients, and then they're at the table when it comes to you know uh, all, all of these types of things. Some of them on this call today, um, and and I think that's really really important to stress. So when you know something like for example right now COVID hits. You've got a, um, a team that's, that's nimble and ready to answer those questions, not a bunch of policymakers or, you know, not, not that they're, they're very important, they're part of the team, or, you know, people who crunch numbers in a, in, a, in a room somewhere. You've got frontline clinicians and patients also involved in how best to answer those questions. So mindset is also partly that. Is that we don't necessarily want to fit into a box so these guys are researchers they've got the research database um or you know or or they're just like you know clinicians bumbling around or a bunch of st- statisticians in a room we're really a, a very truly authentic interdisciplinary team that's really well poised to answer questions about our system
0: fantastic marshall did you have something that you wanted to contribute to that the the mindset concept as well it sounds very yes. much like design thinking and systems thinking but Go ahead,
2: I would agree with that. Yeah, no, I, I did actually. Thank you. Um, I think one of the other challenges that a lot of clinical researchers experience are uh, barriers, you know, to implementation of their work, uh, whether it's a trial or even an observational study. Um, and certainly as clinicians, there's a lot of barriers for us to try to get a dashboard up that might help uh, with service delivery or even just to monitor a certain group of patients. And so one of those barriers is technical, um, and that's uh, the, one of the primary goals of mindset. But I think what uh, what hasn't really been said is our partnership with uh, government and the rest of the provincial partners that we have um, are all aligned around streamlining access to uh, data. Um, and so there's a whole new framework um, for um, how, how, uh, how, uh, privacy and information management uh, will be done within the province. And uh, the Mindset platform is really meant to uh, be a big part of that, to help uh, clinicians, researchers, administrators, et cetera, um, uh, access data in an efficient way.
0: I love it. It's, it's fascinating. And literally, I'm sure we could talk for days on this, but I have some very specific questions. So let's actually just kind of put us back a little bit prior to Mindset. Um, many of the provinces are probably finding themselves in the situation in, uh, in this place as well, which is a myriad of disparate systems all kind of working, you know, in parallel with each other and nothing is speaking to each other. And it sounds to me like mindset is trying to pull this together in a more interoperable way. So one of the questions as we're thinking about people across other provinces who may want to be trying to replicate this this model is why do you think Winnipeg, you know, Manitoba as a province, it was easier to bring this to fruition? And what steps would you suggest to the other provinces for them to take to pull something together like this, um, going through the usual obstacles of, you know, infrastructure compliance and getting something that's operable amidst a myriad of different data sets? Brian, did you wanna start?
1: Sure, yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, Many provinces and many countries recognize the need to leverage their electronic data more efficiently, for sure. Um, And there are certain steps within each of the provinces that I'm aware of to create a more integrated data solution. Those have been actioned quite differently uh, with different amount of success and different amount of challenge. And I think what makes, I know what makes Manitoba unique is that, first of all, we have a shared vision within the province to use our data efficiently. We have a mandate from our government to integrate the data um, in ways that will uh, uh, be appropriate for our healthcare system. And we are large enough um, that we, we, can use the data to leverage it uh, to find solutions to problems, but also small enough that we know we know each, who each other is. We don't live in another city that's 200 kilometers away from this city you're in, where they're just as motivated and 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 uh, set up to create their own data platform. And so what I'm saying is that we we know each other, we get along, we have all the data in one area. Um, and recently we've created a, a provincial health authority called Shared Health Manitoba that has been hugely um, facilitatory in this regard because it allows us to create a, a platform at a provincial level, a sense. So it's not a city level, it's not a jurisdictional level, but it's something that on a geopolitical level that captures our entire province. And so for all those reasons, I think we're really well positioned and this, we've been talking about this for a long time, but the stars have just aligned in a way where we have a mandate, the right population, the right people in place um, to to make this happen.
0: So, Paul, in your opinion, with all of that said and some of the successes, and I'm sure this is a journey, this, you know, the, the, you know, getting somewhere, it's like kind of the arrival fallacy. It's always, you know, pivoting, learning, experimenting, and just continuing through the process. But, um, you know, I was just kind of curious from your perspective, um, what some of the the obvious, what some of the obstacles were initially when you were trying to create basically a data lake, if not a data ocean. What are some of these, what are some of the pushback and some of the change objection that has come up that you have had to sort of, as a team, sort of stick handle?
3: This is only an hour call, right? That's right. (laughs)
0: uh, yeah, I know we're going to make. I this think it's into obvious. It's obvious,
3: Natalie. Just, just, just again, just to to support what Ryan was saying. It's obvious there's going to be lots of um, perceived and real barriers to getting these things accomplished. I think there's there's a few elements that 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 we've been able to overcome is. Like like Ryan says, not one person is going to to succumb. Like you know, you know, Paul's going to be in charge of this, and everyone's going to work for me, and so on. And I think there was a, there's maybe a bit of an era effect here amongst um, certain ages of people that are doing these things. Like Ryan and Marshall and I are ostensibly leading this, but but certainly not after it for any individual. Uh, accolades that we're the owner of this data. It's, this is a, this is a resource for Manitobans, and I, I do think there's an era effect with sort of the mid-career people now versus maybe the generation before us that, we're more of the um, the common good philosophy, and I think that's even in, in in younger generations even more apparent than than it is with us. So first of all, you got to you got to check your ego at the door because nobody's in charge here. We're doing this for the common good and not for the individual gain. Um, second of all, building a really truly Multi-stakeholder team. the kind of buzzwords in the in the business. Like, Engage stakeholders early. Well, you know, we've we've all tried to take the shortcuts in research, and I think on careers, we've all led large projects before. Um, but but truly authentically, this is a grassroots um, engagement, and this has taken years to accomplish, of engaging real patients that have a voice in this. Engaging various technical stakeholders at Shared Health or our digital health uh, group that have been very supportive. Provided we had the other elements in place, and that is senior sponsorship from highly placed people in government, and do want to change, and do want to do something different, um, as as well as like a whole host of different key stakeholders within you know the clinical realm that that you know whether it's psychiatry or orthopedic surgery or cancer care, or clinical trials or or chronic disease surveillance and a whole host of different clinical applications, all of those. People and there's a list a mile long now we have of shovel-ready projects that can use this platform. All saying the same thing as this is a great idea, um, and and it will benefit all of all of Manitoba ultimately. Um, Engaging with our privacy group at at sort of Manitoba Health um, and and really from a very beginning having them a good understanding of what we're doing so they can prepare. Uh, you know, privacy officers, data stewards, um, you know, patients that are involved in in that realm. So it is a a ton of, again, meetings and groundwork and socializing this idea and refining it um, among all of those domains that now, like, you know, we're, we're, again, we have resources assigned to all of those different tasks. But, but, but again, around the fact that we have a little bit of money behind this and a lot of momentum from a lot of different people. So it is an advantage that it's a small province, but it's, it's often like kind of check your ego at the door. There's a lot of work to be done by, by a lot of different people who are all important stakeholders in this. Um, And, and I think, I think that's kind of the biggest advice I could give others taking on this journey.
0: I love it. Really, really good points. And I love the idea is everything starts with a thought and then there's a momentum behind it and it's sustaining and building up. So Marshall, as we're coming to you, we're thinking obviously one of the core benefits of a a large integrated uh, multi-stakeholder holistically viewed database like this of of health data is for clinical trials. So can you actually speak a little bit to um, what you see the future of clinical trial development, management, and sharing, if you will. Um, We've heard a lot of things recently, you know, of entities like Transcelerate as an example, where there's been a series of pharmaceutical companies that have gotten together to do some COVID-19 vaccine problem solving. Um, We're looking now at these opportunities for globalization at a local level. So can you share with us some of that vision and some of the forecasting, if you will, about what c- clinical trials will look like with databases like Mindset in the future.
2: Yeah, uh, thank you. That's uh, I think that's um, obviously one of the key ideas that we had going into this. And so, uh, please chime in if you'd like to, um, uh, Ryan and Paul. But just you know, my perspective is um, that this has the potential to change uh, things entirely. Um, we know that uh, you get the best data from uh, clinical trials, um, and yet they're amongst the most expensive things that we do, um, and they're very time-consuming. And there's always a question of, uh, you know, is a center able to uh, accrue? Do they have the right patient population, and um, will they be able to get the outcomes? Um, and so when when looking at the ability to uh, suddenly uh, you know, query the data that uh, is being captured on a day-to-day basis. Um, you can start to think of uh, recruitment for trials. So, so just from the planning stage, you, you can look at, you know, um, what kind of sample size you might get from this population. Um, but you can also actually, specifically when running the trial, look at recruitment because you can identify individuals or groups of individuals um, for recruitment. Um, And, uh, and so I think Ryan's trial is an excellent example of that, um, you know, and, uh, and really shows that there's, there's ways that if you have all of the data in one place, you can start to, uh, you can start to identify the groups that will be on each, you know, uh, study arm, for example, Um, the, uh, I think, I think probably one of the more important things uh, that, that will come of this that I think has already been leveraged in some, uh, in, in some small situations is uh, that it will be um, easier to then get the outcomes, to obtain the outcomes. So um, all of the uh, apparatus that's required um, to get clinical outcomes um, to get uh, the, uh, the ultimate endpoint verification to get whatever lab values, et cetera, are required um, is essentially entirely manual uh, currently. And so there are teams of people that literally will scour the, the, the uh, patient's charts and uh, are constantly finding this information and then entering it quite literally, physically entering it into an electronic system Um, for the trial uh, study database. Um, And that's essentially not not necessary in most cases. Um, So what mindset really brings um, and and the the vision behind it is that if you uh, can identify those outcomes, um, we can identify where the routine clinical care will already capture those outcomes, those variables of interest. And there may be very specific ones that aren't captured in routine clinical care, uh, especially, for example, patient-reported outcomes, which we haven't really talked about much, but but Mindset provides that platform for patient-reported outcomes as well. Um, Along with the trial that I'm leading, the CAPTAIN trial is uh, a a uh, patient-facing application where they will be able to uh, enter information about, uh, about how they're doing, about whether some intervention provided a benefit to them. And all of this is going to be integrated and uh, available without having to mail out questionnaires um, or get someone to kind of get the CT scan results from that you know, uh, from, from another town or uh, another scan or somewhere. So ultimately, um, having it all organized in one, in one place allows us to then essentially export you know, our research data set Um, that's that's pre-built based on uh, the parameters that were set up for the trial. So it translates into uh, much faster adjudication, uh, much less expensive uh, clinical trial apparatus, um, and an ability to be more precise, I think, uh, from the get-go with the patients that are included.
0: Yeah, so lots of great stuff there that we could probably linger on for a while. I'm just going to pass this to Ryan to ask something specifically still on the clinical trial realm before I start delving into actual using mindset for basically patient management and other things. But on this but on this trail around clinical studies is we're now in this world now, when you're starting to talk about the digitization of this data and creating these data lakes, you're now inviting global interest. So at what point, and, and potentially not only with researchers, but also with the ability to capture patients from across the globe. So are these parts of the consideration of the mindsets of the world as we pilot this in in Manitoba and then potentially this spreads through Canada. Do you see this becoming one centralized database? Is every province gonna have their own database? And what does it mean for regionalization and regional management versus whole populations in the future? And I think um, a, a corollary to that question is, a, when we were talking about reporting, your experience, because I know you're doing some work in the COVID-19 trial, is around resiliency of endpoints and being able to integrate patients using wearables or other more resilient endpoints so that it's not so location-specific. So there's a lot there, but I was just curious about your view on globalization versus regional and more integration of patients being able to pick and choose which clinical trials they're, they're presenting, where the location of that, and how they're going to be entering in their data.
1: Yeah, there is a lot there for sure, um, but it's all fantastic. You know, it, well, those are great concepts. Um, I I agree with all of them. <laughs> but uh, sure, we're starting within Manitoba, but it, but that's meant to be a a testing ground. It's meant to show what you can do, and and spread and scale it from that, from there. Um, I see um, in the not too distant future, we'll have core data sets uh, that that uh, so so predefined data sets within provinces with countries with really um, well developed s- streaming mechanisms, where you can tell if you're a company like. Um, I have this drug or device or therapeutic, Who, who's, what kind of target populations out there? Well, they could find that within a certain province, but they could just link a bunch of data that streamed to say, well, that's the kind of global population that could be available um, for, for my drug or device. Uh, likewise, I might've done a trial as a company um, or to do the trial, like these trials that, that the many industry um, representatives embark upon financially are astronomic. Like for just like I just heard that uh, someone got like twenty one million dollars to to study a calcium channel blocker in uh, in COVID nineteen. We we just did a you know a thousand patient trial with 8, hundred and twelve patients of a randomized trial just got published this this week in a high profile journal. Journal we did it for a hundred thousand dollars. Like if you if you use the data that's already available that's linked and electronic and don't recollect it, you can save over seventy percent of your expenses for a clinical trial. So I can see companies utilizing this infrastructure to understand market access, to do clinical trials for cheaper, and then to monitor the effect of their drugs or devices in a post-marketing sense, understand they're working and that they're safe at a population level. And this is enormously expensive now, but can be radically, radically uh, more efficiently priced by leveraging the data that already exists electronically. And then you so, talked about you talked about wearables and uh, other ways to participate in trials absolutely i mean look what's going on now in parts of uh, in asia more so um a little bit in the uk and toying with in canada about trying to find out who's where by using their cell phone you know with regard to contact tracing like you know or what about our heart arrhythmias with the watches you're wearing not that hydroxychloroquine causes heart arrhythmias because that data was made up but <clears throat> To to a large extent, that was. But I mean, you could probably get all this information from people's devices already. And so there's enormous opportunity.
0: So I'm going to pass this along to you, Paul, to talk about um, the issues around current costs. So there's probably a lot of people around this virtual table listening to this from various Canadian pharmaceutical, but probably global as well. And so what is the current, why is the cost so high right now? And what barriers have been set up, and why doing a clinical study is so difficult for a pharmaceutical company? Why being able to do things like the, the expected and the mandated real-world evidence trials, an example, are so expensive and difficult to navigate? And what steps can a pharmaceutical company take with a group or an organization or a platform like Mindset to be able to make that happen more quickly, more efficiently and less uh, and with a more cost-effective edge to it. So what would you have to say about that?
3: Yeah it's it's a great question and I think there's several steps to take and I think operationally we're not we're not quite there yet but we're we have a very clear vision as to where we want to get to within Manitoba but also that this will spread because once we develop something and we show the model that it works in a variety of different use cases It'll be something that other provinces and jurisdictions won't be able to live without. And to be honest, a lot of the private healthcare insurance providers in the US already do elements of this. So there's, there's leaders of say like Kaiser Permanente in, in California, uh, potentially the VA, places that have these closed data sets within their health systems already that probably do a lot of this business intelligence already. Um, but, but just as an example, supposing we want to enroll patients in a trial for a new drug X uh, in in, in area kidney disease. Um, and we want to know, okay, so are there, you know, patients that are eligible for this new drug and the new trial depending on inclusion, and exclusion criteria and so on. It, it, the, the current process really is there is a research coordinator that's hired who's usually a very skilled masters trained person. Uh, they will come in and they will screen the charts in my clinic for who may be eligible and so on. And then they may hang around the clinic in case one of them may or may want, want to participate in a trial. Uh, and then enroll the person in the trial and then collect a lot of manual paper-based data, reams and reams of it, um, and then take that and enter it into electronic data capture system that's set up by the, front, by the trial that may cost you know, $500,000 or a million dollars to set up. And, and that's how the trial operates. And then there's people that fly in from other cities to audit every all the work they've been doing, and sometimes in our case we we have two patients enrolled in a trial. We have a coordinator hired, and people are flying in to audit all this paper on two patients, checking that, you know, Ryan's initialled some lab requisition, and like this is just you can just see the manual labor involved in this um, is is immense for very very little output, right? And so because because of, because of that process and and and, and If we shift to the future and we had an integrated data set um, and forget and forget just in Manitoba, this is going on say for a trial with a relatively rare use case at hundreds of sites internationally um, all over the world and they have this manual process in many cases. Now fast forward to the future if I had an integrated data set in a province like Manitoba or Ontario or somewhere in, in, in Europe I could I could look at the entire say let's say in the UK the entire NHS data set that was integrated I could find all of the patients in the system that were um you know, eligible for this, you know, drug or, or, or trial based on their past medical history, I could rule out and rule in patients and in inclusion exclusion criteria, find the parameters that may make them eligible. And in fact, in a future state, we would actually potentially even collect information on patients ahead of time saying, Hey, would you, would you be ever be interested in a research study? So we don't waste a bunch of time contacting patients that'll never want to participate in a trial. And therefore we can distill down very efficiently on a population to say, yeah, you know what, this group, uh, there's there 's this pa- patient population that we can maybe uh, connect with virtually, enroll them in a trial, and then, as they get the intervention or the drug, basically check in on their outcomes electronically, and all that can be audited. Um, by a second party anywhere in the world. So really, it's better for patients, it's better for the sponsor of the study, it more efficiently enrolls and collects the data um, just by eliminating a lot of very unnecessary non-value added manual labor right now. Some of that uh, is gonna require us to accelerate these latent trends we have around like, what does privacy actually mean in the digital age? Um, and, and so that, that there's conversations that have to occur within patients and governments and privacy officers and maybe even laws written around that to, to some extent. Um, and, and then also it, it requires a lot of expertise and linking and interpreting data sets and making sure we can get that useful information extracted. Um, but, it, but it's not such a, it's not, to me, it doesn't seem so far fetched right now that that should be occurring. In fact, I think a lot of patients or people not involved in clinical research would be quite shocked to realize we're not doing some of that already, and how inefficient, and this is why trials are so costly, so long to, to undertake, um, and 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 really this and and it's that that cost is passed on to consumers. So um, you know that's why it's also so very important. Another element we haven't discussed was our real openness to work with indirectly with industry as partners. And again, not be the ivory tower academics. We're going to do all this in the, in the academic world. You know, pharma stay away because they're they're truly the people that are bringing medications, devices, and new treatments to market. And without them as partners at the table, we're not going to be able to take as good care of our patients, certainly, or advanced medicine.
0: Yeah, so all really uh, excellent points. And I love especially the way you talked about the integration of patients as part of that holistic framework and the partnerships with manufacturers, government. It sounds like this opportunity for a centralization. So I was actually just curious on that, Marshall, as we're <clears throat> thinking about the new world and what the possibilities are, as we start delving into places that can be considered a little you know, scary, un- uncertain, as we start to think about some of the legislation around um, PMPRB and the way pricing is gonna be done in the future, centralized potential pharmacare programs, is there an opportunity to centralize data, data lakes where we're now, uh, you, know, you know, can we actually make this a positive thing as opposed to a negative? Um, bringing the various provinces together and, and, and data sharing so that research can be done in a more holistic sort of systematic way um, for it easier to manage patients across boundaries and across geographical barriers Um, Can we include, you know, pharmaceutical manufacturers and other key stakeholders as part of that equation so that they could also be part of that uh, ecosystem so that drug development, drug inception, drug delivery can be done in a much more holistic way. So what is the hope for the future Um, as we as we delve into this centralization and globalization very, you know, with with uh, uncertainty or can, is, is, can there be something good about that
2: sorry I just missed your last statement I think I locked up just for a second
0: oh yeah no worries so I guess with just being a little bit fearful of this more centralization mm-hmm. sure is, can there be something good about that as we as we look at the possibilities of how that could work
2: definitely so I I think it's a, it's um you know, having the data in an organized fashion the way that we uh, are approaching it um, really will facilitate that. Um, so right now, a lot of the barriers, as I'm sure uh, everyone knows, is the legislation around how data is shared um, because of, uh, in particular, privacy, um, and uh, and so there, uh, uh, there are methods where data does not actually have to leave, you know, a province but can still be analyzed. Um, in a way, across jurisdictions, in a federated model, and others. So um, the first step, though, is really having that data organized. So I uh, I'm really hopeful that we will actually be able to um, Ryan's trial. Actually, um, yeah, there is a component that is is meant to uh, test this in one way, where uh, we're using some data from uh, from uh, another province. Will be uh, will be tested essentially to see um, the challenges around that are are making sure that you know you have um, a common language for the data, um, and uh, and so that really takes um, I think uh, large interprovincial collaboration to um, to ensure that people are using the right or the, not the right but the same uh, language and data model. Um, or that there's an at least an ability to make sure it's transformed into the same uh into the same um organizational structure. But the first step is really getting your house in order. And so that's why that's been our approach, is to make sure that um, we've got um the depth of Manitoba's data organized. Um when it comes to uh you know um uh things like uh like uh getting um uh, national pharmacare programs and uh and taking uh, taking um, healthcare to kind of a different level, we'll say within, uh, within the government, um, I think it's gonna be critical for provinces to make sure that they have, uh, you know, access to their own uh, information and can compare to ensure that their uh, citizens are getting access to the right medications that they should be. I think um, as, uh, you know, as, um, as, as we know, the, even though um, you know, the, um, the uh, access to healthcare is meant to be universal in Canada, there are provincial differences. And so as those barriers are broken down, um, I think having access to those data will ensure that, um, that um, uh, patients aren't left behind just because they are in, a, in an area that may be underserviced in some way. Um, so, having the data accessible, you'll be able to identify who those at-risk populations are that might not otherwise have access.
3: Um, yeah. Is it, is just, to, just to comment on that a little further around, around access, um, I, I think, you know, right now we, you know, we get maybe proposed a new drug or device or treatment or diagnostic test from, from an from a industry partner. Um, And they make their spin on how this should be priced what the need in the market is and so on. Um, Without a lot of local validation is this an issue in this province, you know what's our existing treatment and so on. So using real time clinical data allows us to populate um, local or, or even jurisdictional, as Marshall says, a difference in the remote rural north of Manitoba is very different than in, say, you know, Winnipeg, for example. Um, it allows us to really say what the, what, you know, put a local lens with real time, real data, and real risks um, in order to say what the, what, what should our province be willing to pay for this new treatment? How is it more effective or safer or better for patients than the way we've been currently doing it? Um, and, and, and really have some robust economic models around, around this. By the same token, um, you know, having, having this system set up a priori, a company may have a new treatment device, drug test that they're, they're thinking about developing or thinking about acquiring a smaller company that has, that has this technology. And they wanna say, let's like do a little test run on the data set ahead of time to say, you know, what's the scope of the problem? what should be the willingness to pay of the province for this new device or drug is how is it going to improve quality of life or outcomes or save money for the system? Like, let's face it, there's no new money in the system. Every person knows that we have to get more efficient with the money we spend currently. Um, And there's a lot of efficiencies in our system, and there's a lot of new technologies that may be costly that overall will save money, but we don't, I don't think enough, We, we base a lot of decisions maybe on the literature, but not necessarily enough on our local needs and costs, et cetera. And this is again, speaks to the necessity of a, the multidisciplinary collaboration that, that we've established and I would encourage others to do of people who are frontline clinicians and specialties, patients, health economists, biostatisticians, epidemiologists, and policymakers, because right now we just, we're not as evolved in the decision-making and analysis as we should be. And this is the really way to drive value for the system.
0: Yeah, and I think it also really speaks, um, and I'll just call out to, to you, Ryan, to speak to this is, is the issue around interoperability. And interoperability has, it's not just the digital component of everything speaking to each other, but it's involving all of these stakeholders and the ecosystem as part of that equation. So as we think about this and maybe step out of the lines of discussion around clinical studies and talk more about patient management and management of health and you know, people who are on certain medications or using certain devices and how we're following them in terms of specific endpoints and and out you know and and health outcomes so how do we open the doors to that so there's more visibility and so that you know other stakeholders can have the observances to participate in viewing that potentially opening the discussions to risk sharing and cost sharing as we start talking about insurers coming into this equation etc is how do you sort of see this interoperability working in such a way that this, you know, monitoring of patient care adherence, how are these actual drugs, chemicals, services, devices, actually benefiting people? How can we actually enable that moving forward? Your voice. So the truth is
1: we're not really monitoring it now. When a drug gets approved, it's gone. And uh, it takes usually a, a health region, but it's usually an investigator as part of an initiated trial to understand, are we really getting the outcome we thought we were gonna get from the clinical trial that was done? What's the real world evidence of its use? But also what's the real safety of it now? I mean, clinical trials are not typically designed to monitor safety at a population level. And so, with a, this kind of system that could that w- with the mindset system and with those that could be, um, that could be added on and to c- connected to, um, you could easily do this where, uh, a new device, like, like maybe a, a heart failure device gets a, a, approved start to start to be used. But then the immediate question by the company is like, well, who's using it how many times you could track sales, you know, but sometimes prescription stuff isn't straightforward. Um, adherence, um, it may not be easily captured, uh, enter in uh, a module uh, where the patient uh, is tracked, but I'm saying that maybe there's a wearable that could, just, that could easily identify how well something is being uptaken by a patient. What do people think about this? We don't even know about that too, right? We just, you know, the drug uh, it has a certain side effect profile that we find acceptable with some efficacy data and it gets used. What do people really think about this? Like, what's the patient outcome? What's the patient experience about taking this drug, using this device, accessing this part of the system? It's not incorporated systematically, but it could be. And then it could be done using validated tools um, across provinces, across countries, across disease states. And so we could understand um, really the the impact of that medication, drug or device at a systems level that goes well beyond efficacy, that goes into cost, the patient experience and outcomes and to overall functioning of the health system.
0: Very interesting. So one of the things that I think this brings a question to is you know, there's a couple of key things here that I guess cause a little bit of issue and obstacle. And one of them that Paul has really spoken at great length to is, is really the issues around data ownership versus what's owned versus what should be shared. What is actually processed information versus what's raw data. And as you all know, in the new world of digital and machine learning and artificial intelligence, data is king, it's the oil, it's what we feed off of them. And so there's a lot of controversy and discussion around this. So just passing this along to you, Marshall, around uh, data privacy and security, what are some of the key factors and people and players that should be around the table? And what would be your hope for releasing this conundrum that we find ourselves in um, because we can't even move ahead with interoperability. We can't move ahead with electronic health records or patient portals or, again, all of the seamless electronic transference of data back and forth between patients, between various stakeholders, between researchers, all within these data lakes without having that free passing of information. So how do we start to uncover or or release this this conundrum we're in?
2: Uh, yeah, that's a challenging that's a challenging um, aspect because uh, I think you're quite right. Um, the, um, the you know one of the one of the major challenges that I seem to live every day is is um, not being able to share data for a purpose that we've already got you know approval for or clearly is a clinical need. Um, and it's, I think, uh, you know, as with everything um, there, it's, it's, uh, uh, it changes over time. And so um, what I think really is required to help um, systems move towards uh, health systems, provincial systems, um, um, governments move towards um, um, changes to privacy laws is discussion. I think we need to talk about What the risks and benefits are going to be for using the data in certain ways, um, what those security aspects are going to actually be. You know, the truth is, we all uh, expect that our uh, phone connects with our laptop or our iPad or whatever, you know, uh, device that we've got. And that when I get, you know, when I get um, to, the airport, you know, I've got, maybe that's a bad example this time, <laughs> this current stage, but, you know, all of my information is there and I've already agreed essentially to share that information with my credit card company or the airline or whomever. Um, and all of the different ripple effects that have streamlined how um, how we interact with our world has really been handcuffed in health um, because we view that data differently. And, um, and so, you there's already you know processes and security in place in other um, in other uh, markets but not really within health I think there's always this concern but what we aren't really capturing I think well is the risk of not doing that so uh, you know current state where we're all working in our own little silos um, is is it's it's hard to see what the potential advantages you know you might dream of what those advantages might be but we don't think about it. if we don't move towards a system that's more integrated a system that's more uh able to share data if i end up uh you know even within canada if i end up traveling um, and uh, need to access a hospital it is literally faxed records that need to come from you know my doctor of the hospital in manitoba um There is no connectedness, Um, and there's the only reason for that is uh, is it's not security; it's uh, privacy legislation and concern, and it's hindering care. Um, So that's what I think it will take. Um, But that's that is a very long goal, obviously.
1: don't you think we just tether the fax machine to our cell phone Marshall we could
2: actually we could and anyway, in fact I'm just gonna bring a fax machine with me next time <laughs> we, we we've, designed, well, actually, our, we've we
3: designed our system guys to the lowest common denominator most risk-averse individuals um, yeah. and 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 said that that's status quo and that's a sacred cow that we can't touch uh, you know in our in our health system here we again fax seems to be grandfathered as a very secure meat of communication but we can never email or we can't like put things on secure line uh, online platforms um i I, i'm actually very surprised at you know i talk to my peer group and my patients they either just just don't really have a strong opinion one way or the other on the way things are or they're actually very shocked at how many restrictions there are uh, on privacy theoretically supposed to protect them but actually doing them significant harm in terms of not being able to access information or duplicating a lot of tests uh, or, 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 in, or practitioners not being able to collaborate in real time simply because there's so many restrictions. So, I, I would encourage um, you know privacy folks to have meaningful conversations with a very diverse group of people that are not career bureaucrats in privacy, but all but but patients of different ages um, and different you know backgrounds and different um, you know expertises to really have a meaningful conversation and not pander to that. 1% that that are that are really, really uh, strict about privacy and so on. And they, they could, those people could be excluded from the major data sets, if you will, if you uh, it should be like an opt, opt in, opt out versus an opt in policy that um, because again, I think vast majority of the public would be pretty shocked to know how little we can access now. Um, and we've wanted to have better care as a result.
0: I'm going to do, I'm going to close off this call with a rapid fire. I'm going to each ask, starting with Ryan and Paul and then um, Marshall, just a quick question is, if you had a hope for the new normal post-COVID, for mindset, for any of this work that we've been talking, legislation, uh, changes, regulatory changes, what would be your number one hope moving forward um, in the new normal? Starting with you, Ryan.
1: I would hope that the default platform to do business in healthcare is electronic and that we should, by default, be sharing and leveraging the data instead of developing manual methods for running our system, for measuring our system, um, and for reporting back on it.
0: Love it. Paul?
3: I would completely echo that. I think every resource we sh- we spend, uh, new spend right now, should be at fully electronic systems that are interoperable, that talk to each other, and that we have meaningful conversations with the public and with key stakeholders around how to accomplish that and what privacy actually means. And I, I really do think we need a full revamp of the of way we look at privacy of data.
0: Love it. And Marshall.
2: Um, so uh, of course I agree with what was said. Um, to me, one of the biggest aspects that I've noticed is we've all embraced change very quickly Um, And people have changed from this is how I do my work or this is how we uh, get a new system in place, uh, which is a multi-year, very slow kind of um, process to something that can say uh, there's a requirement that we do this and we can do it in two weeks. We can do it very quickly and we might not get it perfect, but we'll get it pretty close and we will accept that we can then iteratively improve it and in the health system, I've definitely witnessed multiple examples of that, and I really hope that, that attitude remains.
0: I love it. <clears throat> this is a really, really important discussion, and obviously can, can, last, out, can last hours and days. Um, and I think the, at the end of the day, what we're really talking about here is systemic thinking systems innovations. And we realize, as you had all alluded, this requires adaptive behavior and evolving thinking. It's gonna be the incremental that's gonna be required from starting these conversations. It's the whole point of doing these fireside chats so we can start these courageous conversations. It's the whole reason and mission behind Impetus Digital so that we can create this platform so that we can start to sustain and build these exponential concepts and ideas so we can break through some of these regulatory and legal hurdles and start, to, um, and start to have some positive conversations about what healthcare data privacy, security, and, and how can we leverage and communicate more widely. So thank you to our panelists who were on the meeting, Ryan, Paul, and Marshall, you were excellent. We're gonna be providing everybody their links to their LinkedIn profile and to the Center of Health Innovation in Winnipeg. For anybody who wants to connect and find out more about mindset, how you can actually partner with their organization. If you're from another province, also to find out how you might be able to replicate some of their success. Uh, please look for the links. Um, we'll be sending an email with a co- with access to this recording if you wanna share it with any of your colleagues. And we certainly will be posting this on Twitter, YouTube, our podcast, as well as on our website. Thank you all for your attendance today. Wishing you all well and stay healthy and we will speak to all of you soon. Thanks
2: Thank you so much. Family. Yeah.